Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail... He's not going quietly from these positions, is he? Quietly? So <laughs> noisy. Rob Campbell unleashed, I think we should work well, this week. To go out like this is quite remarkable, and I guess we'll see what else he has to say about it. He had a lot more to say about it. But it just absolutely smacks of the way Muldoon used to behave, and I'm very sad about that. That was Rob Campbell last week talking about his dismissal as chair of two government agencies, Te Whatu Ora and the Environmental Protection Authority. Then he got stuck in again this week, comparing Wellington's bureaucracy to North Korea, calling it Pyong Porniki. Him coming out and making his comments in what could, you know, what could be and was clearly construed as a partisan way was an unusual thing and that's why I think it was such a, a big story because this is not what you generally see of public servants. Sir Ashley Bloomfield has his say on it, but first, Newsroom's Sam Suchdeva looks at last week's extraordinary events. Rob Campbell's a prolific LinkedIn poster and it was uh, yeah, a couple of weekends ago now, jumps on and, and describes the the party's three waters policy as being a thin disguise for dog a dog whistle on co-governance. Uh, which, um, you know, whether or not you agree with its merits, quite quite unusual for the, the chair of a, a Crown entity to be posting about that. So that's sort of the genesis for all this um, this kind of outrage and, and the fallout. So there was a sharp intake of breath when people in the know read that, presumably. Yes, yeah. I mean, I was on, on Twitter, as any good journalist is, on a Sunday afternoon, and there was already a bit of a furore then, you know, people saying, is this appropriate? And then on Monday, you had, I think it was first the Taxpayers Union and then the ACT Party putting out press releases saying, hang on, what's what's going on here? This is inappropriate. ACT wants Rob Campbell's head. I don't see how he can stay on. That afternoon, you have the the Prime Minister's uh, weekly uh, post-Cabinet press conference and Chris Hipkins quite forcefully condemned the remarks and said they were inappropriate and and that the government would be looking into it and going through an employment process. Uh, That is ultimately now a matter that the ministers responsible will be raising with him and, of course, there's a process that they need to work through in doing that. But then it, it escalated quite quite quickly, I guess, in terms of moving up the chain and, and ministers and the government feeling like they had to act. In breaking news, the health minister, Aisha Verrill, has just announced the departure of Te Whatu Ora Health New Zealand board chair, Rob Campbell. And a final decision was made that, you know, he'd, he'd crossed the line, that there'd been other instances, instances, I think, where he had sort of gone against government policy or being too outspoken. So, yeah, Te Whatu Ora was the first to get rid of him. But, of course, he also held a position at the Environmental Protection Authority as its uh, board chair. So David Park is the Environment Minister. He went through a separate process and he came back as well and said, you know, look, I'm sorry, we've got the same issue. So he ended up losing that position as well. And then on Friday he comes out about an article he's written about uh, the need for hundreds of job cuts in the new bureaucracy. So not going quietly. Not at all. Pretty, pretty unrepentant, really. Why is this such a big deal, Sam? Political impartiality is such a crucial part of of the public service, I think, and it's because, you know, you can look at other countries like the United States where you have public servants, judges, other appointees end up getting weaponised, I guess, and... You know, if the the presidency changes hands, then all of a sudden everyone gets fired and you bring in your own hand-picked people. So the the idea is that we don't really want that, that it's better to have 
you know, experts uh, who are able to stay there across governments and, and hold that information. But part of that, I guess, has to be that you're not seen as being partisan and that opposition parties can trust you and that you can work across the entire political spectrum. And my... 25 years in and out of the public service, I've not seen either a left or a right uh, sort of bias or leaning in the public sector. They were well aware of their uh, responsibilities and of this key principle of the public service of political neutrality. That was pretty much what Sir Ashley tweeted last week in response to Act's David Seymour's claim that large parts of the Wellington bureaucracy were openly sympathetic to the left. And here's why the former Director-General of Health agreed to talk to the detail. I'm really keen to be part of this discussion and part of the, the issue around political neutrality because the public service itself is not really in a position to kind of defend itself on this one. And um, I've got recent experience in a reasonably senior role and can talk to that. Um, but I'm also conscious, you know, I'll try not to be political in my comments. Okay. Um, uh, it, well, I'll be, I, I won't be being no. political in my comments, uh, although it's quite clear it's a specific politician who's sort of questioned the political neutrality of the public service. Yeah, um, that's right. Which is what I was responding to in my tweet without naming the politician. Which is, which is what I was going to um, start with, actually, because it, it, was this a very unusual step for you to tweet a comment about this? this story? Well, I, I sort of joke to my friends I've got 22,000 disappointed uh, Twitter followers because I tweet infrequently. I, I certainly follow Twitter daily and the reason I responded on this occasion was specifically to address this suggestion that uh, that the public service was somehow not politically neutral and in particular that there was this left-leaning um, uh, bias in Wellington. You're saying that Rob Campbell, by coming out and making these very strong comments about Three Waters, about um, Nationals' policy on it, I mean, he's and he's continued to um, give his opinion publicly on things, that that is very unusual. It is unusual, and Rob's in a senior role, or was in a senior role, chairing two important uh, you know, Crown Entities and Te Whatuora, which is new. It's the largest uh, public entity in this country, indeed, probably in Australasia. Uh, but him coming out and making his comments in what could, you know, what could be and was clearly construed as a partisan way was an unusual thing. And that's why I think it was such a, a big story, because this is not what you generally see of public servants. Why is that so wrong, though? Because, I mean, he, you know, as he says himself, he's advocating for improvements to public health. Most public servants would have a strong vision of how, of both the fact that these things can and should be improved and indeed how to do it. But the point is, as a public servant, is that it's really important for public trust and confidence in the public service and indeed in maintaining that stewardship role, that is the ability to serve successive governments. It's very important that public servants in their work are seen to be, uh, both are and are seen to be politically neutral. And for people in very senior roles, that's also... I guess this notion that you know what you do in your private capacity, and 
that doesn't mean you can't have conversations and won't have conversations with friends or colleagues in your private capacity, but LinkedIn is hardly a, 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 a sort of a private forum. He seems to suggest that the code of conduct isn't actually that clear on impartiality or that it's open to interpretation. Well, all I can say is, you know, from my 25 years in and out of the public service, including in senior and in most recently a pretty visible senior role in the public service, I've never come across, you know, this this question about whether it's it, it, this question of a lack of clarity. Mm. My experience is that public servants find it really clear. Not only is the expectation clear, but the reason for it is really clear. And it's about maintaining public trust and confidence in the public service and ensuring we can be effective stewards of, uh, of government and of the public service over the medium to long term. And this code of conduct, Sam, brought out in, what, 2020, this is the rules for how public servants should behave. That's right. So the government had been working through these broader public sector reforms. They introduced the Public Sector Act. I think it it might be the Public Service Act. But as part of that, they sort of said, here's this code of conduct. Here's how everyone needs to behave. Here's, you know, the principles that should be guiding our work and what we focus on. But also here are the, here are the red lines. Here are things that we... We shouldn't be doing, and it is—it's not very sp- specific on how that should play out around things like political impartiality, because I guess you you can't be too prescriptive in terms of saying this is fine, this is not, this is fine, this is not. But it, it did say, you know, this is a really important part of how we operate, and we need to be seen as, you know, impartial and and um, employees of an integrity. So that was pretty pretty high up in the codes that that came out at that time. His response has been. Pretty extraordinary, hasn't it? In the course of a week, he went from attacking National for dog whistling on race to attacking the government, uh, ministers sort of dishing the dirt on private conversations, attacking the Public Service Commissioner. I mean, I I can't recall a time I've seen such a a senior behind-the-scenes official um, in a a governance role produce multiple op-eds and offer himself so much comment. In one interview, he's calling the government's treatment of him and a repressive interpretation of the Code of Conduct. They're not following due process to consult and talk through with people and try to find alternatives and try and find solutions. Yes, and I think he, he sort of also talked about a Muldoonist approach from the government. It felt the same way, Heather, as it felt when I was a young man and being attacked by Muldoon and sent it out really just for standing up and saying things that I believed in and still believe in. Which seems like a bit of a bit of a stretch, but he feels that, you know, what he's done has been within the spirit of the rules and the letter of the rules. He does think they're um being overly conservative and he's he, yeah, he's doubled down on a lot of things. They're very much not logging off, I guess, as you might say in modern parlance. He's still uh, posting quite prolifically on LinkedIn and sharing um articles that are, you know, complimentary of him and raising concerns about the government's approach. So quite destructive, isn't it? It is, and I can understand it at a level, I suppose, a personal level, if you feel aggrieved and say, well, hang on, you've, you've um, appointed me in part because you want someone who's willing to speak their mind and look at these issues, and now all of a sudden you decide it's too much for you. But he does seem to be burning his bridges in terms of any public sector work. I think he's still been, he'll still be in demand in the private sector 
Um, he's got you know a long history of working as a as a direct company director, but certainly I don't think the Labour government would be looking to have him back in any positions. And and the National Party, given this all started with him criticising their policies publicly, I, I don't know that a national government would um, bring him into any sort of high profile roles either. I mean, it is interesting. You know, he said on an interview on News Talk ZB that he's been equally critical of both parties. They looked up their Oxford Dictionary. They would find that impartial is being equally critical of both parties. It's nothing about impartial that says that you shut up or sit there like a stuffed dummy. What it says is that you're impartial if you're not biased towards one party or another. And I think I've been pretty equal opportunity in the commentary I've been giving. I can have some sympathy for that, that if, you're, um, if you are speaking out about everyone across the board, actually you're, you're treating people without fear or favour, which is what impartiality is about. And, and, and the, the sort of the code of conduct does have some exceptions. You know, there is a... Uh, an expectation that actually in your private life you can you can hold these these views. It's just transferring it into the public arena where it becomes a concern. And I think one of his arguments was, look, this is just me posting on my personal social media page. This is not me talking as chair of Te Whatua or the EPA. So why is this um, so causing so much uh, sort of consternation? And to a degree, that might be true, but at the same time, you know, LinkedIn is a professional network. He is listed there as the board chair of Te Whatu Ora, so I can understand why the government might not necessarily buy that argument. That this is me as private citizen Rob Campbell, not board chair uh, Rob Campbell. What kind of pressure are you under, especially in, in the role that you held, to remain impartial when you're in such a senior position? You know, I'm I'm thinking... Uh, that pe- the period during the pandemic when you had to stand up every day next to the Prime Minister usually and talk about a matter that was highly politicised. Well, this is one of the challenges and one of the, you know, one of the things you deal with every day, particularly in senior roles in the public service, is that because... You know, let's make no mistake here. The public service is part of the government of the day. The government is is elected by, uh, democratically elected by the population, and the public service effectively becomes part of the government of the day. And because of that, uh, you you are dealing with the political interface all the time. And certainly, when you're fr- when you're facing a select committee interrogation, really of the work you are doing as a chief executive and that your department or ministry is doing, that's a you're right in the thick of a political process, and it really behoves you to to in that environment to act with political neutrality, with impartiality, and to deal with the issues that are pertinent to your work as a public servant and not to engage with the, the political dimension of that. And, of course, um, it's it's not a, a black and white line. I mean, it's a, there's a grey area in the middle, uh, but it's an important um, skill and it's an important part of your role as a senior public servant to be able to navigate that line and that boundary really carefully and thoughtfully. Have you seen Rob Campbell's latest opinion piece where he, he sort of likens Wellington to Pyongyang? He calls it Pyongyang-Porniki. Well, I mean, it's an interesting perspective. Uh, again, if I think of my 25 years in in uh, the public service, and I was doing a count up. I 
I served in the public service under 10 different ministers of health, uh, starting with Bill English and and finishing with Andrew Little. Um, so, and I'd say evenly balanced between sort of um, Labour-led and national-led governments. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know the, the whole thing. Um, that's the point. Is New Zealand has got a really, really high functioning public service, and there are many uh, national sort of metrics of this public trust and confidence in New Zealand's public services is higher now than it was before the COVID pandemic. Internationally, we compare really well, um, and I guess that's you know it's an environment I enjoyed and thrived in and found challenging but also incredibly rewarding and I guess what Rob's saying is that he didn't have the same experience. Well what he's saying is that the public service sector never makes any dissenting or controversial view known. Well one of the things I talk about at the moment, I'm doing some talks around the country and I did them actually when I was Director General as the sort of the values that um, underpinned my work as a public servant, and one of those is courage, and and often that was the courage to tell ministers or advise ministers in ways that they may not have been that receptive to, or um, give them advice they may not have wanted to hear. And the point here is how you do it, and the forum for doing that, for expressing views, uh, you know as in good advice, is generally uh, when you're with those ministers rather than through a sort of a public, um, you know, a social media account. And uh, just because the the advice or um, differing options or different advice being given to ministers isn't necessarily aired in public at the time, that doesn't mean it's not happening. And you will see this advice come out uh, through the publication of documents under the OIA and the, and the proactive release of documents. You will often see uh, advice that is providing a range of options to ministers. But the, the, the responsibility of public servants is to provide that advice to enable governments to make the best decisions. And then once the government makes its decision to get on, implement that decision to the best of its ability. This must be pretty damaging. I mean, do you think there's going to be a lot of people within the public service maybe even agreeing with him and saying, well, hang on, we don't have an opportunity to speak our mind openly? Well, interestingly, I haven't seen that in any of the sort of feedback and commentary, not from what I've seen anyway. Uh, And Again, I just go back to the point I made earlier on that um, that the reason I think this has become such a story, such a big story, uh, is because it's a rare event and that the vast majority of public servants really understand their obligations, not just around political neutrality, but around providing free and frank advice, around open government, around merit-based appointments, and importantly, around stewardship. And that's why they're in the public service and they go to work every day to to sort of abide by and work in congruence with those principles. Now that you're an academic and you've got more freedom to speak your mind, I presume, would you speak out now on a on a government policy or decision if you, you know, if you genuinely believe in it? 
Well, uh, maybe I've had a long time in the public service and I need to get used to the idea of what academic freedom means. I mean, what I've always felt is that the real currency for people in government, for those who are in advocacy roles, um, you know, civil society organisations, and for those in academia, the real currency is influence. And of course, that's as much about how you package the message as the, as the as it is the message you're trying to give. And people are much more likely to be receptive to advice and uh, and views uh, if it's packaged in a way that is respecting their role and their position, and indeed where there's a relationship already there. And so. I've uh, spent 25 years establishing, I hope, good, strong, enduring relationships across the public service, and I intend to maintain those. Uh, so I won't be sort of going out um, just making sort of off-the-cuff comments or opinions in a way that could potentially undermine those relationships. OK, so we're not going to hear from you about what you think about what's going on at Te Whatu Order? Uh, not specifically, uh, but I've got some thoughts about the health care system in New Zealand but generally those thoughts are, uh, are just deeply based on my understanding of how challenging and how complex it is to run a healthcare system. And I'm much more likely to be expressing a view on the things that New Zealand can and is, you know, could do well, does do well and could do even better, and how we compare internationally. All the challenges we're facing now around workforce, around um, big long waiting lists, are all ones that other countries are facing, um, around staff that are burnt out. These are big challenges, and the key thing is how do we as a country constructively engage with our, our professionals, with our staff, with the public around addressing those challenges in a, in a, in a constructive way. So that's what I'm more interested in. In breaking news in battle to Fatuora Health New Zealand Chair, Rob Campbell has been fired by the Health Minister. What would it matter, though, to someone like him, who has got such a good reputation, is highly regarded and already has these private sector roles, what does it matter to lose these roles in the public sector? I think there's probably an element of, of pride or mana to it. You know, these are prestigious positions, and the fact that he was sufficiently trusted to to be appointed to oversee the health reforms, um, you know, at a time when there's quite significant transformation going on, to lose that would definitely be a blow. Is it starting to hurt? Look, yes, you'd be, it's just be whistling in the dark as that didn't, didn't hurt a bit. There are a lot of people who work in the private sector and you say, you know, you're making more money, it's an easier life, why go into the public sector? And I think it's because they do want to, to make New Zealand a better place. And I think certainly he does. If you look at what he's talked about, he's quite passionate around things like gender equity, the role of Māori in the system and so on. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it was just about him collecting his, his money. Oh, I plan to uh, keep talking and working on co-governance issues, absolutely. I don't have the positions I once had, but uh, I plan to keep advocating uh, exactly the same issues that I've been advocating while I'm in the positions. He genuinely wanted to make the the health system a you know a better functioning organisation for New Zealanders. So to have that taken away would be would be pretty crushing, I imagine. What now? Because he is saying that the structure of impartiality and neutrality needs a fresh look. 
I, I think it's a reasonable debate to have to say, you know, look, we do we do need impartiality, impartiality, and there are reasons why this is important. But at the same time, we want a degree of of individuality and in people who are willing to give sort of free and frank advice. Uh, I was following a, a session at the New Zealand Economics Forum last week, hosted by the University of Waikato, where I think the former Treasury Secretary Graham Scott talked about this risk of groupthink that you know you have too many people in the public sector who are um, yeah, aligned in their thinking because they don't want to deviate from the norm. And that can be dangerous, right? You need to have that diversity of views and people willing to say, no, hang on, this is wrong and this is right. So, yeah, there's a careful balance to be struck there and it wouldn't surprise me if you have the Government or the Public Service Commission looking at how that balance sits. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. William Saunders engineered this podcast. Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison are our producers. And thanks to Sir Ashley Bloomfield and Sam Suchdeva. Mā te wā. Listener.